Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Hi, Janet. Hello. Thank you very much for your talk. Very interesting. Um, it seems to me that from your point of view, what you've presented to us today, that perhaps um, um, there would be a different tact for you to take rather than having the Green Party. Maybe it would be good to go all out and be talking about proportional representation. Because actually, by forming the, the Green Party again, uh, you are eroding the possibility that one of the opposition parties gets in, even though you say you will not run a Green Party candidate when one of the opposition parties has a chance. So you mentioned at the onset that you had left the NDP. And so um, since the NDP is uh, a robust, long-time party and has a very complete environmental policy, um, can you tell us why you would not have joined with the stayed with the NDP and just helped them to have a more solid, in your opinion, environmental policy, and it has the social justice aspects, and to simply bring that cadre of green supporters to give the NDP an opportunity to form opposition? Super question and a complicated one, um, but I. I I'll give you this part of the answer, and then maybe you can indicate whether I've, I've answered enough of it. Um, in the wake, of, there was a provincial election in 2008, as many of you, so the penultimate one. We had one in 2008, one in 2012. In the build-up, the lead-up to the 2008 provincial election, a lot of people I know who are politically active were sure that at a minimum, the PCs were going to get a smaller majority. At a minimum. They, they just couldn't see how there'd be any other outcome than that. And it took something on the order of 16 minutes. It was 8.16 or something like that when CBC called not only another PC majority, which I think was no big surprise, but another massive PC majority. So, and I was still a member of the NDP at that point. Uh, and I know a lot of people kind of gave up at that point. They just sort of dropped out of polit political activity. But after a while, after people got over the shock, um, there was a group led out of Edmonton, but we also had quite a strong group in Calgary that formed something called the Democratic Renewal Project. And the object of the Democratic Renewal Project was to try to get opposition parties to work together. Um, I mean, at one point, the, the goal of the Democratic Renewal Project was to actually have the parties kind of say, kind of divvy up writings and say, the NDP gets this one, the Liberals get that one, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that, that didn't fly, and then they tried something else. They had a website where they recommended who would be the strongest um, opposition candidate, or progressive opposition candidate. But what happened... Um, in the year and a half or two when people involved with the Democratic Renewal Project, which included myself, my husband, or, as I said, but there were people in Edmonton and other people in, in Calgary, 
And what was the final sort of breaking point for me with the New Democrats was the New Democrats would not have anything to do with that cooperative effort. They would have nothing to do with it. The leadership, the leadership would have nothing to do with it. The NDP had, had wisdom. The NDP had the, you know, insights enough for the world. And cooperation just wasn't on the agenda. I mean, so rigidly and so narrow-mindedly that it was one of the straws that broke this camel's back. I just couldn't. Because what is the NDP? I mean, I admire greatly. I think the single most, probably the single most admirable MLA is probably Rachel Notley. And that's probably been true for ages, right? Um, but, and, and, and she plays an effective role, sometimes in opposition. But the NDP got cut down to two seats, and then with the election in 2012, came back up to four, right? How – it's impossible – the NDP is not going to change government in this province. It is not going to happen. I mean, I've lived for 40 years. I've worked in a number of campaigns, given money, done all sorts of things for the NDP. It is not going to happen. If they cooperated with other progressive parties in the province, then we'd have a much better chance. But we'll not listen to that argument yet. As I speak, there is no movement on that. So for me, why would, you keep, why would I keep in Calgary, which hasn't elected any new Democrat MLAs since the 1980s, when we did have two, um, why would you keep bashing your head against that particular wall? So that happened, and also I went to Fort McMurray and saw the oil sands, and the combination of the two catapulted me into um, the Green Party and, and met Elizabeth May, who I find endlessly inspiring, just uh, an amazing person. Um, but, but, I mean, your point is well taken, and that's why I think we chose as the topic for this, does Alberta, you know, what, does Alberta need another political party? So... But I've explained to you how my, what my own conclusion has been as to where I have to put my political um, energy. And I just have to say that we talk about this rather largish number of, of, of political parties at the provincial level, but I think it's only the New Democrats and the Greens that stand for anything. I mean, honestly... I and I have and I live in David Swan's riding, Calgary Mountain View, and I have voted for David Swan. And somebody I know in the audience wanted to talk about strategic voting. That's what we're talking about. I am not a liberal. I have never carried a liberal card, uh, never. But I, if my choice is David Swan, whom I admire greatly and know quite well, or some random Wild Rose candidate or PC candidate, which is one of the other of those two would have won in this last election if David Swan had not been reelected. As I said before, is that what I want to wake up to the next morning? That would be awful. That wouldn't be a better life. That would be worse life. So that's my measure. I think you can be a, you can be active in a political party if you're realistic about what's going on in your society. And if, in case of us here in Alberta, if you're ready to cooperate with other parties to try to achieve a better result, and I will do my best as leader of the Green Party for whatever strength and whatever we have to make that a reality. I think Greens have a vision that embraces 
social justice, as I said earlier. I know it does. So I think, but it's broader and it's more deeply committed to environment and sustainability. So that's my choice, right? We, and let me also say, everybody has to do what he or she has to do. That, you know what I mean? Like, you have to do what you have to do, and I could not be a new Democrat anymore. I certainly couldn't be a new Democrat in the southern part of this province. I know that Shannon Phillips, who ran for the new Democrats in one or the other of the Lethbridge constituencies, was thought to have a... Sorry, West? West? Um, thank you. I know that she was thought to have a shot at winning, and I know she came in uh, second and did quite well. But, you know... It's probably not going to happen, is my best guess in southern Alberta. But th that's just, I have to, everybody, we all have to do what we have to do to try to make things better. And that's, so that's my conclusion. I think the future has to be green. And the sooner we get on that green uh, wavelength, the sooner we, we try to really figure out as Albertans what is a smart, greener economy look like for us, the better off we're going to be. If we start today making a smart transition to something greener, we're going to be a whole lot better shape than if we keep our heads in the sand and wait until the day comes when finally, having put all our eggs in these, this hydrocarbon basket, or not all our eggs, but too many of them, and then we wake up and that, that gig is up, you know? It's not a very smart way to proceed, in my view. My name is Knut Peterson. <coughs> On that note, how do we get the message out that uh, change is not necessarily going to be a scary thing? Because that some people believe that, oh, if we go green, it's going to have to be tomorrow. It's more likely like 20, 30 years down the road that we may end up getting to the point where we can have a sustainable or a renewable energy future and stuff like that. So how do we get that message out that it's not going to happen tomorrow, but if we don't start now, it's not going to happen? Oh, that's such a good question. How? The how question. How do we do that? How do we get communicate that? And I'm, I'm not such a good person for the how, the how to communicate it better. So, but I guess it is, hopefully, that every single time a group of Albertans meets and has this conversation that if the speaker doesn't remember, at least somebody in the audience remembers to talk about that. I mean, and I'll go back <clears throat> to what I said about being so inspired by some of the young people working on the Green campaign in that by-election in Calgary, the federal by-election in the fall, was that they're not afraid to change. They're not afraid to change. They have the self-confidence. You know, Albertans are boasting all the time we're at the cutting edge and we're smart and well-educated and technologically, blah, blah. Well, these, these young people actually are, and they're not afraid of change. They're really not afraid of change. But change is, in principle, scary. My son uh, once said when he was quite young that change was evil. That was his view of change, you know. I mean, change is threatening, and let's face it, as Albertans, we've been living off the avails of the oil and gas industry, all of us, all of us, for many years. I mean, Andrew Nikoforik, and he can be a polarizing force. Andrew puts things sometimes <laughs> pretty, pretty straight, pretty harsh. He accuses Albertans, which he is one of, um, of being fat and lazy. I mean, it's been easy to stick those holes in the ground, right, and shovel the coal into the burners to produce electricity. But there are a lot of people who are excited about the possibility of showing how smart we really are, 
which is it's going to be in that different economy. Yeah. Not much of an answer to your question. Sorry. But we do have to remember. Yeah. Hello. Uh, I'm Trevor Page. Um, the vision that you articulated certainly resonated with me and those at our table. Um, but I wonder how, other than strategic voting, you plan to translate the vision into action. And my question is, how many paid-up members do you have? And what is the trend? Are you increasing? Are you getting bigger? Are you shrinking? Are you... Right. The Green Party of Alberta came... Well, we, we were renamed after the 2012 election. So the Green Party of Alberta dates from, uh, I don't know, when the chief electoral officer said we could call ourselves that again, something like October 2012. But really the party was reborn in the year previous when it was then had to be called something else. It was called the Evergreen Party. So we've got something in the order now of like 125 members, but it's all up. And, but is that a fair, you know, it's like there's white lies and there's this and then there's statistics, right? I mean, against a small number, increases, you know, can, they can be dispro- you know, If I tell you that in the last month we grew by 30%, that's really impressive, right? Well, but it, you know. But it's not going backwards, um, and now that we are the Green Party of Alberta and people don't have to try to scratch their heads and wonder what in the world is the Evergreen Party about, um, uh, yeah, we're growing. We're growing. We're getting volunteer people coming forward and volunteering. What can I do? Um, but we're very small. We need a volunteer coordinator. Do you want to volunteer? You don't have to be the volunteer coordinator. I mean, we, we have more help coming actually being offered right now then we have the infrastructure to use. But hopefully that problem will be solved soon. So uh, in my, the green's, green's the future. There's no doubt in my mind, not just because it has to be the future, but because people see it as a creative uh, possibility. So, sorry, did that answer your question? No, <laughs> I didn't mean to avoid it. I'm sorry. I walk tenderly. My name is Frank Toss. I'm nor- normally bring up the rear the very last question. I'm called a radical like, but you are almost. Uh, congratulations on the beautiful uh, veracity and determination. It's Thank you. refreshing to see a lady. You have the background of the argumentative profession, of course, yeah. to name. Uh, name but uh, I was going to say that... Uh, Two, two little items that affect the voter mostly is his, uh, what can you say, his back pocket, the wallet, and the stomach. You haven't said one word about our, uh, my favorite subject is our royalties, okay? We've asked every political leader here, whatever, and they all said it's very difficult. We happen to have three auditors' reports and I'd be ashamed to tell Albertans really what it is. You missed that in your speech. Yeah. Secondly, you also, uh, also, if you want to break this 36% majority in, in, in Canada, so-called Conservative Party, would you be, your party be brave enough to tell Albertans and Canadians who Harper really is? Fraternally, you know the answer. 
Would you be brave enough to tell him who he really is? The son of the uh, 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 clerical executive of Imperial Oil, Exxon, and be brave enough to break the bubble finally in Canada? And two little other items. Uh, Mr. Oliver was made a monkey of just recently that you were going to talk about. And and Norway is importing garbage from all over the world, for God's sakes, to heat their apartments and what do you call You talk, that fits into your green legislature, so-called, okay? Bless you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think the hardest of the questions posed is the first one about royalties. Um, and it is a really tough one. Let me just, sort of the bigger picture is, and we were talking about this briefly at, at, at our table here, is Alberta as tax haven. So it's not just a matter of royalties. It is also a matter of what sort of taxes we collect. And this is another area. I mean, I really, I'm I'm not an economist, so I'm I'm actually, and I acknowledge, bad at some of these more obviously monetary things. But let me say that, um, you know, some people will say, well, it's time we had an adult conversation about taxes and royalties and I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, and I know my experience in talking to Albertans a lot about these sorts of issues for quite a long time, not just as a green political person, but with the Schumer Foundation and before that, is there are a tremendous number of Albertans who are like me and they are willing to pay more taxes. So in my view, Alberta has a revenue problem for sure and also has an expenditure problem in the following sense. We have lived pretty high on the hog, and I have no doubt that there's room for economizing and cutting back in certain areas. We're used to having pretty fancy stuff, the kind of gold-plated. So I think there's room for that, um, but, but we've definitely got a revenue problem. I mean, the notion, like in Calgary now, I was saying to some of my table mates, and I don't know whether it's happening here in Lethbridge or whether somehow or other you're avoiding this, we're having these ugly conversations about how the, the Calgary Board of Education is going to manage with the budget cuts. Terrible conversations at Mount Royal University that is being hit very hard by budget cuts. So why... Why, with a lot of wealth in the province, a lot of untaxed wealth, why is it supposed to be a good thing that education systems are paying the price while individual people still keep a lot of wealth that, quite frankly, a lot of them don't need? So I'm totally on side with, with, with the assertion that we have to end Alberta's status as a tax haven, and that's what it is. But it, my understanding is your understanding of royalties. My understanding is that we do not, we do not, in Peter Lougheed's words, act like owners of the resource. That, that is my understanding. I'll have to tell you, I know people who would contradict that, and I know people well. A man I used to work with on a number of projects was, for a number of years, head of, um, well, it was called energy policy, but he's an economist. It was basically royalty policy for the province. And he recently told me he thought that Alberta was sort of in this comfortable sort of middle zone on royalties. But I'm, not a, I'm, I'm just telling you that for me, and I, think, I was actually thinking about it earlier this morning, it's something where I need to engage with the details of the issue and to come up with, 
with a position. When I talk to Green Party of Alberta people about royalties, they all believe they have to go up, and some of them have been quite senior in the oil and gas industry. So I think that's where you would find Green Party people going. But it is complicated. I mean, we can't delude ourselves. There, because we have a whole, we have many different royalty rates given the age of the resource, the kind of resource, what you know, what we're trying to use royalty policy to achieve. Maybe that's the wrong way to even think about royalty policy. So I am aware of the complexities. I'd say my own instincts are, I don't get, I don't get why by why we're sacrificing now crucial public services like education to keep taxes and royalties low. I don't get it. But I think it's mostly, my own view is it's mostly a tax problem and not so much a royalty problem. That's my best assessment of it. But I'm not an economist. I mean, can I, yes, can I just say, no, no, please, come to the mic, Lynn, while you're doing that, let me just say one thing. That what I just said about education, I know there, are, and certainly the New Democrats would, would agree with that sort of assertion, and some liberals would and some liberals wouldn't. But... Um, when, when Greens talk about sustainability, we're also talking about social sustainability. We're talking about sustaining a quality of life. And I really think most people agree that high-quality education, educating young and other Albertans, all of us throughout our lives, but, but mostly the young who are still developing at a rapid rate, is key to sustaining the good life that we have in the province. What makes people adaptable? We want uh, people who are adaptable and can adapt to the, the needs of the new economy. So sacrificing education so that I can buy a fancier car because I have more disposable income, I'm sorry, that's contrary to the public interest, I think. Please. Thank you very much for coming. My name is Tad Mitsui, and uh, I liked what you said. However, only possibility of Green Party having any influence in politics in Canada is either proportional representation or abolishing party system. What do you think of abolishing political parties? It functions in City Hall. It functions in Northwest Territory. What do you think? Interesting question. And I have friends and colleagues who think that political parties are so... so at, behave in such an evil and counterproductive way now that 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 that's the solution, that they should be abolished. I don't see that. I've thought a little bit about it, and I, I myself don't, maybe it's just I can't envisage it. But it's one thing in the Northwest Territories where I think the total population is 20,000, something to that effect. Um, it's one thing there, and I know it works there and has been in that, has, it has worked for some time. Um, I don't think the absence of political parties at the municipal level is a particularly good thing. I'm not particularly interested in, like, that's not the level of politics I'm especially interested in. And one of the reasons why I'm not interested in it is because it's not enough about ideas. I'm, I'm an ideas person. It's not enough about ideas. It's all about kind of trading, not trading votes in any corrupt way. I don't mean that. But it's kind of like, well, I'll kind of cozy up to you on this issue if you'll kind of cozy up, which maybe works all right at a municipality, the level of municipality. But I think that the bigger picture, the bigger picture is that there are some really important ideas today. There have always been. 
But I think social justice, environmental sustainability, and health of democracy, so they're the top three. And across as big a jurisdiction as a province, and a province like Alberta, I don't think, that's, I don't think we're going to have sensible debates about these issues without political parties. Or at least we can have a sensible debate, like we can have a perfectly sensible debate here, and I can be almost post-partisan. But what happens when election day comes? What are the consequences of electing Sally or Joe or Misha, right? Well, if they don't have a political party affiliation, I, I, I don't understand that. It's too... I just see... I can see how it works with a smaller polity. I don't see how it works with a larger one. And that, as I say, that maybe I just can't stretch my mind that far. I don't see it. Better, I think, far better, is to talk about what politics is about and what people in, in politics should be motivated by. And it shouldn't be by self-aggrandizement. It shouldn't be, as I said earlier, about, you know, it's my party, do or die, every vote. I vote strategically because it's the and have before I joined the Green Party. I voted strategically when I was a New Democrat, too, and at all levels, right? Why? Because I have, I have a view as to what's morally better and not public policy and public outcomes. And if I figure voting liberal for David Swan was the right thing to do, then that's what I'm going to do. But I think that's what better politics is about. It's about being honest about the situation we're in and being honest about what are the, the realistic strategies we've got for changing that. And strategic voting is it in Alberta. I don't really think that in the next, before the next election or the following one, any one of the leaders of the progressive parties is going to be able to convince you folks to pile on behind that particular party. I just don't think that. So that means we have to vote strategically so we can get a government in place that will give us some form of proportional representation. And that day is going to come in Canada. And when it happens at, in one province or at the federal level, then we will see it happening in others. It's, it's the first one that's so difficult to achieve. And then we can all go back to voting for whomever we ever feel like. You can go to the, the polls and vote for the party you know is going to come in last because if they get over a certain threshold, like 5% or something overall in the province, you'll have an, M you'll have an MLA. That's terrific. That's great. But we have to get there. And it sure isn't going to be this present government that brings proportional representation into force. The existing systems work just fine for them. And consider, consider, I, th I did the math earlier today again. The PCs got less than 50% of the vote in the last election, 47%, the lowest, I think, in the whole, since Lougheed won in 1971 the lowest percentage of the popular vote, 47%, and got 70, 70% of the seats. Uh, my name is Mary Shillington. I'm a base today. I'm not normally a base, but I am today. Um, thank you for your comments. I find I agree with some, and I strongly disagree with some. Um, I question, I had to zero in on which of the many questions I wanted to ask. Uh, I, too, have a concern, like you've expressed, about the education and the cutbacks to the universities and colleges, and it's been desperate here, too, uh, if, if you're not uh, aware of it. Uh, but I'm also involved with L'Arche Leftbridge, and L'Arche is, of course, uh, adults with, uh, uh, with developmental disabilities. And 
And I'm wondering, like you're talking about social justice, who needs social justice more than people with disabilities, whether they're mental, physical, or both? And so what, if if I was to join the Green Party, and I, I am an environmentalist, but I'm have never voted Green or anything else but NDP. So I might as well tell you that up front. Um, but uh, so what would you be doing for people with developmental disabilities? Uh, what is your policy around that? And how are you uh, putting on some pressure with this present government who don't seem to give a darn about it? Great question, great question. We have had somebody who's been a lifelong social worker, I think she's I think she's fully retired now, somebody from Calgary, who's been leading the development of, of Green Party policy on these questions. <clears throat> and we, ha- we are having our first policy convention in about two weeks. So if you were to go and look at policy, we've hardly got any because we're in some sense a brand new party even though we're not at heart. Um, how can I make it concrete then? But I, I think you're absolutely right. I think of categories of people who need our support more than any other. There's nobody who needs it more than those with developmental disabilities. I, I have no doubt about that. I will, and I, I think it's only right to give credit where credit is due. I know that shortly after Alison Redford became premier, the amounts that were paid under AISH, I know that's not your whole concern. I understand that. But just to put, you know, a detail out there, a statistic, the payments made under AISH, the what, assistance for the severely handicapped, uh, right, um, were increased significantly. They were not what the the associations for people with disabilities wanted. They were not up to a living sort of standard of income, but they were much better than what they had been before. So bravo, and I know that that made a big difference. When you're going from something that's kind of pathetic and you get another, what, $400 a month or something, it was significant. So giving credit where credit is due. But I know that it's, first of all, I know that, as I said, the disabled community thinks it ought to be higher and that that's not the only issue. I mean, I've had lived experience on this. One of my children does not have severe disabilities, but he was undiagnosed learning disabilities and therefore was hell on wheels through some of his teenage years because he was frustrated and angry. And making the mental health system work, so I can speak this part of it from personal experience, making the mental health system work for for somebody um, uh, that you're close to, I don't know how many of you have gone through this, is a very, very, very unpretty picture. I mean... I, it was so bad at times, I, I try not even to remember it, quite frankly. But the facilities, that the, the services that were in place for a young teenager who was acting out out of frustration were pathetic. He was sometimes in the children's hospital with seven-year-olds. He was 6'2". It was crazy. He was sometimes in the Peter Lougheed Hospital in the adult ward where they're smoking and all sorts of drugs and doing crack in the parking lot. So that was what he was exposed to as a patient. I mean, like, pathetic. So what would Green Party policy be? It would be to do a serious review of what's available, where are the weaknesses, and not just the weaknesses in the sense of what resources are there, whether whether you need three psychiatrists when you've only got one now or whatever. But it is to help people negotiate these systems 
And I heard recently that not regarding mental health, but regarding more ordinary health care in the province, that there's one of the programs, I think it was one of the cancer programs, was actually introducing the, not case manager, but kind of case facilitator, a person who would help families figure out where they go in the next step in this complicated network of services. We ought to be doing that with all these services. Because my husband and I, between the, t- the two of us, have six university degrees. We are both lawyers. We both talk for a living. We're both not easily intimidated. And we had problems negotiating the system. And I would meet single parents, usually mothers, not well-educated, who didn't have a hope of negotiating it. So, Janet, all- just to interrupt you there, we have one more question, and we're, oh. we're trying to... Sorry. So- Complicated? But this is all about social sustainability and deep respect for human beings and human rights. Uh, I know it's at the end. My name is Tom Kane. I'll get, give you a quick question um, with one comment introducing it, that I, I think we've gone far enough with partisanship in Alberta and all of Canada. Um, anyhow, you said you're a little bit, you've got some great policies that you're working on but the how to get it done isn't really as clear as it might be. And I wonder if you're going to use the youth to do uh, some math on which particular ridings in the province that your other strategies would work on, and are they they going to teach us older people how to use social media to have an impact? If you don't use social media, then good luck. You should have a special policy on the use of social media and get the youth to help you figure it out. Thank you for all that. I agree uh, 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 with you on partisanship if you mean partisanship for the sake of being nasty to other people so that you look better. If you mean partisanship in the sense that we should all just be happy and bow and genuflect in the direction, no, you don't. Okay, then we're on, we're on the same page. Right, right. And I hope by saying I vote for David Swan and I was a new Democrat for 30 years and I just gave credit to <laughs> Alison Redford for something that you might give me a little, yeah that I really do mean that um, it's not partisanship for the sake of of partisanship. Um, Great stuff on social media. Great stuff. Um, You know, I've already admitted I'm 63. I'm not going to be the one who's the whiz, that's for sure. But I did see how it worked. Uh, I have seen how it's worked in certain um, very interesting elections in Calgary. Nahed Nenshi's election uh, to to the mayor's seat in, in Calgary was phenomenal. It wasn't, and it wasn't all social media. There were tons of coffee parties, and Nahed is a talker, right? He's not a sort of, hi, how are you, move on to the next person. He's the guy that engages with people. And, and, but, but the team, the campaign, used that. So if you went to a coffee party with Nahed, then you were encouraged to Facebook it on your, your own Facebook page, to tweet it, and so, so it fanned out in that sort of way. And talk about social, well, that's social media, but I mean... His website and some of the videos that were used were some of, I think, the the most sincere, the most authentic, and the most effective I've ever seen. His sister did a video that was posted on his website about him and why he came back from Harvard. He came back from the United States because his dad was ill and, and all of that. And I thought, he can be mayor of Calgary. She can be queen of the universe. Like, it was dynamite. It was so warm, so human, so authentic. And that's what I think people are crying out for. But how do you communicate it? And about examining the different writings, yeah, there has to be an awful lot of work done. And hopefully we can inspire people to, to do the work that's necessary. And some of it has to be on the ground. It really has to be through this face-to-face that we come to know and trust each other. And then 
how do you figure out what that means on the broader scale? So there's some thoughts. <laughs>